The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with ten thousand, to oppose the one who comes against him with twenty thousand? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. In June of this year, something happened that perhaps many uh, did not notice. But when I read about it, heard about it first by email, I was terribly distressed. The news was that the Cathedral of Christ the King, the home of the bishop and the bishop's office and the cathedral congregation in the Diocese of Western Michigan, was going to be sold. And it was sold. It was sold to a community church that is going to add 80,000 square feet to it in order to meet its needs. And the cathedral congregation is now meeting in a conference room at a health center. And as I read that and I thought about that, I was convicted to believe that we as a church, not just Trinity, but we as the Episcopal Church have to stop and ask ourselves, are we connecting with the people around us? Do we make any difference in the world in which we find ourselves? For one of our cathedrals to be sold and then to have another congregation come in and add 80,000 more square feet to it because it's not large enough for them. I believe that our church is at a point where we need to ask that question. Who are we following and why do we follow that person? And what does it mean in our lives? And what does it mean to the lives of all those who are around us? What was so disturbing to me, really, about the sale of that cathedral is that as I read about the church, it would have been one of those places that I would have wanted to attend. It was a wonderful place with a lively arts activity apparently associated with it. They opened their doors to the community. They had ecumenical services, services with Lutherans and Roman Catholics. The uh, local university came there and offered concerts frequently because of their grand organ. It was a beautiful, architecturally beautiful building situated 
on the edge of I-94 outside of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Thousands of people, literally thousands of people went by that church and saw it, had to see it because it was so grand. It has wonderful. Uh, it was shaped as a crown with these wonderful crown like uh, tops around the, the top of the cathedral. It was square and the inside of it was shaped more in the round with uh, people around to be able to sit around the altar. The altar, a circular altar uh, around which the congregation could gather. It was known as a place that was welcoming and open to all. And yet the bishop and the congregation and eventually bishop's council and convention decided they had to sell it because the budget would not support it. Well, then I read that text from Deuteronomy as I was getting ready to preach. I had received in the mail the Living Church, which has an article about this cathedral, which brought it all back to mind again. And I read in Deuteronomy about Moses talking to those people as they had been slaves and enslaved and had then gone into this uh, this endless, seemingly endless uh, journey that they had of 40 years. And they finally come to the banks of the Jordan. And apparently some thought that the life that they had was really pretty good. And you remember, these are the same people who at one point were angry at Moses because they didn't have what they had when they had been slaves in Egypt. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. And it seems that perhaps there were some that were not sure that the promised land was really all that great. And they wanted perhaps to continue as things were. There were some who, when Moses said, I set before you life, and death choose life and there were some who apparently would rather choose death my mentor priest when I was in seminary used to say that a church is either growing or it's dying so there's nothing in between and at first I didn't think that was right I argued with that but the more I thought about it the more I think it's really true because that's really the state in which we live Living things change. We only stop changing when we're dead. And it's really true that only living things can grow. Dead things will never grow. So it's either death or life. And like Moses, who said to the people I set before you this day, life or death, choose life. We in the Episcopal Church do a lot, I think, to uh, because of traditions that we have. And the traditions in some case, I think, may hold us back. I, I think that it's helpful for us to hear what historian Yaroslav Pelikan had to say about tradition. He said tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Now, if you think about that for a moment, tradition, there's nothing wrong with tradition as long as it's living and lively tradition. But he says traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. I was having a conversation with a friend recently, actually just this past week, again, about this cathedral that had been sold. This woman has worked in congregational development in the Episcopal Church for many years and she said, the longer that I have been involved with congregational development in our church, she said, I sometimes think that we have become preoccupied polishing the gem. 
And she said, the longer we polish the gem, the more precious it becomes to us and the smaller it becomes. We have polished the gem long enough. It's time for us to hold the gem up, to hold it up so that others can see what it is. The goodness of the tradition. I am. I love tradition and certainly Episcopal and Anglican tradition as much as anyone. But if we're no longer connecting with our young people, if we're no longer connecting with the world around us, we have to ask ourselves, what is our purpose? I believe that the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion have something truly unique and important to give to the world and any place that it finds itself. I think that we have a message and an an expression of the Christian faith that is truly important because it adds a dimension that is not heard from other denominations, just as we should value the other denominations as well, because we hear from them things that we don't hear when we talk among ourselves. But our voice must be heard. And we must never forget, never forget who it is that we serve and why. As I was talking with this woman, she said that Sometimes, as she reflects upon all the good works that we do in the Episcopal Church, and we do so much nationally and internationally, this diocese alone does enormous work internationally. But she said, if people don't know why we do it, we're just another NGO, another non-governmental organization doing good in the world. We have been commanded to do good. Because of the one who has commanded us to do good. We are doing good. We seek justice. We seek mercy. Because Jesus showed us that that is the way we are to live. And in that is real life. We heard from this rather difficult gospel today. Jesus saying some hard things to his disciples and to those who were following who wanted to be disciples. And you need to keep in mind that it was it's it's in the in the custom of uh, Middle Eastern speech to use hyperbole, to always make it extreme, to make the point. But at the end, he says very simply these words, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. I think what Jesus is talking about in that passage is. Is there something, anything, anything that stands between you and me, between you and your desire to be my disciple? Is there anything? And I think when he asks us to give up all our possessions, what he's really asking is for us to open our hands and to release those things that we would hold on to so dearly that they stand in the way of us entering into God's mission the mission that God has called us to. I believe that truly good news is found when we let go. I believe that there is tremendous possibility for our congregation, for the Episcopal Church, if we stop polishing the gem and instead if we offer it to a world who is looking for anything of beauty that it can see. Now, I don't want this to become an annual report 
but I do think that we need to hold one another accountable. And I will say that you are doing a wonderful job, at least. And I'll tell you why. When we began our journey together with me as your rector, when you called me, there were three things, it seemed, that stood out that we were going to do together. One was to grow our parish in numbers, to strengthen the spiritual lives of our children and our youth. And the third one was to build a strong financial grounding, a financial stability. Now, we have, I think, done a great deal in working toward those three goals. And let me tell you a little bit of what has happened. We have a thriving church school with excellent leadership. And we have parents who are committed to the spiritual growth and the growth in faith of their children. And that is truly a blessing to this congregation. This congregation has become more and more open in welcoming those who have children, for the children to be present with us in worship and to enjoy praising God with us, especially as we gather for the Eucharist. We have introduced children to the love of God through those great stories of the faith, using the curricula that we have, including godly play, which we've made a commitment toward. So I believe now we are, we are teaching our children with compelling with powerful stories of faith. We've begun the Journey to Adulthood program with our youth. It's a curriculum that will help young people to grow into to adulthood and to understand what it is to live the Christian life as an adult, to deal with the complex issues that come to all of us in this life and how we approach those questions as a faithful person. There are two things that excite me so much about this. Actually, three. The leadership excites me tremendously. And the leadership found in the, the volunteers, the adult volunteers from this congregation who have given countless hours already over this past year in making this program viable. And then finally, in the reality that there are 22 families that are enrolled at the, in Rite 13, which is the first, of the, uh, first two years of the Journey to Adulthood program. That program can literally change the lives of young people. And we're doing it because of the support of adults in this congregation. We are also becoming more financially stable. Now, I am quick to add, we have some financial challenges that are with us. They're imminent. We continue to work on the house, and every time we turn around, there's something more, it seems, that we need to spend money on. We need to spend some money on the front steps that we didn't expect we would have to do. But by and large, we are in a much healthier place than we were four or five years ago. The, since the interim period, our pledging units have dropped, and that's something that we want to turn around. We want to have more pledging units than we have now. And we came up some this past year. The giving has increased in terms of pledging over the past seven years. And last year, the giving increased 9%, which I think is, is really wonderful. There have been significant gifts that have been made over this past year to the endowment, which will make a, a tremendous difference long term in terms of the life of the parish. And I'm very pleased to tell you that 26 individuals and couples have made a commitment uh, through their wills and through their estate 
to leave money to Trinity to help ensure the financial stability of this parish into the years ahead. All of that has been done through the Bishop Paddock Cornerstone Society to enable people to make those gifts. All of this is a reflection of your commitment to stewardship. And it is strong. It is, it is wonderful. And, and that doesn't even begin to address all of the things that you give to in this community and beyond. And the time that you give to the life of this parish. And the talents that you share with all of us. I believe we've experienced the least success in growing our church in numbers. I'll have to admit, it's just uh, it's thrilling to be worshiping with all of you this morning. It's so good to see so many back and to hear these voices of praise. But the truth is, we have to work on this more. We have to focus on it as a priority for us. And there's a reason for that. The reason is Jesus told us to go out into the world and make disciples, invite people into the life that we know. In, the, in this community, in Acton, and I think it's true in all of the communities around us, one-third of the families have no connection with the church. The harvest is ready, but the laborers, unfortunately, are few. And it's often very simple. It's a matter of inviting an unchurched family to come and just be a part of what you know to be Trinity. But we're also doing some very specific things. We have two committees that we have formed. One is headed by the associate rector. Nick has been working with a group who've been looking specifically at how we can do a better job of welcoming people who come to our doors and incorporating those people into the life of the parish if they choose to become members. The welcoming table and other things that you don't see that are behind the scenes are already the product of their work and it's been very, very helpful. The second thing is that we have a committee which is called the Building Welcoming Spaces Committee. It's headed by Rod Hosfeld. And he's continuing with that committee the work that was started and the learnings that we, get, that we gained from planning for ministry to look at what it is about our physical plant that stands in the way of our mission. We have to ask ourselves that question. We have to ask what stands in the way of people becoming a part of this life that we know. You will all have an opportunity for, to participate in those uh, explorations as we think about the life of our parish and about our physical plant. But I will add one thing very quickly, having just looked at the parochial report, this past year we have grown in terms of average Sunday attendance by 15%. That is not an insignificant number. And it is my prayer that that growth will continue as a result of, of you and the contacts that you have in the community out there of people who want to have a deeper understanding of Christ and grow deeper in their spiritual life. Now, much of what I've talked about is about us, and it's, it's looking inward. We need to do that so that we're strong, so that we can go outward. Because ultimately, that is the mission that God in Christ has called us to. So sometime in October, and I'll be sure that we have uh, plenty of announcement about it. Those of you who are interested in exploring how we might make ourselves present in the world out there in a more meaningful way, in hands-on ministry, engaged in the lives of people who need help, 
of people who need someone to speak up for justice, for mercy. I hope you will come and join with me as we explore the possibilities and see what possibilities for leadership there is to do that from within our parish. I think we cannot do one without thinking about the other. It's extremely important that while we look at ourselves and how we can become stronger as a parish, we also remember that our calling always, always is out there. On this first Sunday of our program year, we hear God calling us to choose life, choose life. And I believe that we hear Jesus saying the same thing when he says, let go, open your hands and join me in my mission. And I pray that in the year and the years ahead of us, God will truly bless us as we seek in our own way to follow Christ as we live our faith. Amen.